0: AT&T Threat Track is a roundtable discussion of security trends and news. Full video of this program can be found on YouTube by searching for AT&T Threat Track. So, Michael, you're going to tell us uh, about an incident where an API key was stolen and then abused.
1: Yeah. So, a company in Perva, um, relatively well-known cyber vendor. Um, you know, usually, they have a large web application firewall product line. Uh, that's pretty popular, and yeah, they recently disclosed that they had a, a cloud security breach, uh, where they did have some customer data exposure. So it includes email addresses, some uh, hashed and salted passwords, and uh, even even customer API keys, and interestingly enough, TLS keys, you know, as part of this this database snapshot that got uh, exfiltrated. So it's affected customers uh, prior to September 15th, 2017. And we'll talk a little bit about kind of the, the database snapshot. But it's a really detailed uh, post-mortem that Imperva has out on their uh, website, which talks a lot about some of the detailed background and, and things they've done since to uh, keep it from happening again. Uh, but they were tipped just this past August 2019, but the activity tracks back to actually October 2018. So they kind of claim they had a different security posture, um, you know, kind of back, uh, back about a year ago. Um, but, yeah, the attackers were able to retrieve uh, an AWS API key, uh, from an Internet-exposed EC2 instance that they had, uh, and then using that API key and the uh, you know, permissions associated with it, the attacker was able to exfiltrate a snapshot from uh, AWS RDS, which is a relation database, relational database service, which is like the PaaS database as a of service offering in AWS. And again, they were able to exfiltrate that um, with uh, customer data. And through their uh, investigation, they were able to, to track back that particular snapshot to September uh, 2017, so they kind of know exactly what uh, what was taken. Uh, but they do claim since then, they've tightened their security controls, they do more scanning of their public cloud environments, and then now all their compute resources are behind their VPN, so none are directly Internet exposed. Um, but, yeah, interesting story. Uh, they do indicate, though, that they, uh, they don't, haven't had any activity uh, around abuse of the customer accounts themselves, uh, so that potentially means it may be not a hacker but a security researcher uh, there's not a lot of detail on exactly how they were tipped off and uh, maybe who was behind this, but um, the fact that they haven't seen any activity maybe suggested it was more of a researcher.
0: So it was going on for a, a whole year or so uh, before it was discovered and kind of stopped?
1: Yeah, so they actually, again, they were, they were kind of tipped to this activity, so so they actually didn't find it themselves. Uh, someone had come along with, I think, um, you know, said here, look at this data we have. Uh, I think they were requesting a bug bounty maybe. Um, so, yeah, they, they actually hadn't found it themselves. And someone else had kind of tipped them to this activity. And when they went back and looked through a lot of the log that they were consuming, uh, they were able to identify kind of what the root cause was. And,
0: and uh, it sounded like they took some very responsible steps at that point to notify and to make sure they were monitoring yeah. so that none of the information that was leaked was being used to carry out, you know, further malicious activity.
1: That's right, yeah. So they, they disclosed it. They released Again, they have a really uh, detailed um, Post mortem, that they went through to investigate, you know, to detail everything that happened. They, um, you know, notified customers. Customers, they had some statistics in their report uh, where customers, you know, uh, rotated keys, uh, changed passwords. Um, so again, they they, they notified customers immediately, uh, and through their monitoring, they haven't identified that there was actually any malicious activity that was uh, that was used.
0: So I guess protect your keys is the uh, the big takeaway, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, we saw, you know, there was a big, and we still see them every now, this big rash of S3 buckets, right, uh, public-facing. And then AWS came along and added some more controls, which made it very difficult and explicit for you to make an S3 bucket uh, public. And then lately, we've seen some more stories around uh, these API keys. So either they get exposed, either you check them into, like, code control, like GitHub, Um, in this case, there's not a lot of detail, but, now, you know, this this uh, server may have been compromised and there may have been keys laying around in config files. And then the whole, you know, AWS EC2 metadata service where, you know, EC2 instant gets this, like, temporary role and credential that you can access. So a lot of stories we're seeing now around API key, um, you know, exposure and, and – um, you know, we'll see kind of if it slows down, if there's any uh, changes or if there's any changes that you know, the different cloud service providers can take to help uh, restrict that access more. But, yeah, we're seeing, seeing some of these stories pop up.
0: I mean, I think the lesson is make sure that your keys aren't exposed, nobody can get their hands on them. The victim in this case did a good job of uh, finding out from the logs what had been accessed. Uh, whose information that was, and then monitoring, notifying, all the things you do as is is part of your response plan. You know, you're activating it, it's a big deal, making sure everybody knows what happened, uh, and then making sure that uh, the information that was you know, exposed isn't being used to carry out malicious activities right now.
1: So, Michael, you have a story about a relatively new DHS agency that wants some elevated powers to be able to talk directly to these vulnerable companies?
0: Yes, uh, thank you. Um, So Department of Homeland Security has a pretty tall task. Uh, They're trying to be effective in defending against cyber attacks. Uh, And this has uh, been kind of framed up as uh, they're looking for ways to protect critical infrastructure. Think like uh, industrial control systems that may be vulnerable and exposed. Uh, And they're saying, you know, that we need to let these people who have these vulnerable systems know when we see them exposed on the Internet. Uh, I immediately think of our uh, analysts who use a tool, Shodan, uh, to see you know, what's out there on the internet that may be exposed, and you're kind of looking for something that would indicate it's your responsibilities, you know it's yours, and then you go find out who owns it and kind of take care of it that way. Um, this is, I think, DHS saying, hey, we'll be the ones to notify. And right now, they don't feel like they can be effective because they have to go to like law enforcement, Department of Justice, a judge, Um, And I think in those cases, there's some there's some really well defined criteria like there has to be an investigation, the investigation has to have damages, you know, there's some victim and then there's enough damage to, you know, go through all those steps. Uh, So I think what they're asking for is probably unprecedented in that they want to kind of not have to go through that. And then they're asking Congress to give them the permission to do this, so you know an act of Congress is a pretty big thing. Uh, so it's pretty interesting to see different parts of the government um, trying to sort this out, and in the end, you know, do a better job of defending uh, against cyber cyber attacks from all over the world.
1: Yeah, I mean, so, so reading through this outside of you know everything you just out, outlined with all the existing process. Um, it is, you know, there's always this uh, question of attribution, right? We think about it when we're, we're defending, right? Making sure that we're attributing to the um, to the correct uh, party. And it seems like this is maybe in reverse also. There may be some issues here around attribution of, of knowing exactly who that IP address uh, belongs to. If you think about, um, you know, like an ISP, which maybe we're doing some kind of natting, right, where it, you're not necessarily going to get... Um, you know, a public IP that's static for a long time, you may be getting IP and we have to make sure that it's attributed to the right person. Then we talked about public cloud in the previous story. Um, You know, sort of there, you know, a lot of those IPs are the cloud service provider, right? And it's any number of companies can have that IP for any moment of time. So I guess my my concern with thinking about this is just kind of that reverse attribution. How do you know for sure that if you're basing all this off an IP address, um, that you're attributing it to, you know, the, the right party in the end?
0: Yeah, I think there's a lot of IP addresses that are shared, uh, maybe even different entities, different users. And then even if you found the box that maybe is doing something, oftentimes that's a victim and they don't know that their box is doing that. Yeah, so um, yeah, it it isn't simple at all. Even if you were to say, well, this is who owns that account and was using that IP address, there may be even layers behind that that you'd really need to Follow in order to figure it out and understand what was really happening at the time,
1: right? And the story does. I think they kind of pinpoint these industrial control systems, maybe as as uh, you know, kind of the focus, right, of these subpoenas. So looking at power and you know all the uh, the different systems. So um, you know there may maybe and who knows, you know maybe, maybe there's exceptions there when we're thinking about um, you know critical infrastructure. Uh, but yeah, I agree. It seems like it'd be a tough sledding, right, to kind of get this. Through and approved, where you can actually, um, you know, get have direct access to whoever you believe, uh, you know, owns that system. Right.
0: And I, I do admire that, you know, we want the utilities to stay in service. You know uh, we don't want bad actors out there disrupting big parts of our economy. Uh, we definitely don't want them taking down, you know, hospitals and things that make a, a city and public health function. Uh, so I think they have the right goal. Uh, it's just a question is, can you do that with the existing processes and partners? Or do you really have to have this new method? Um, there's a lot of debate, so uh, we'll see how it, how it uh, winds up think they have their goal in the right place. Don't know if there's another way to get to that goal other than this ask, uh, but we'll see how it all you know works out between the different government agencies, between Congress versus justice versus DHS all working together to try to solve these very real problems. Uh, so Michael, another malware attack. Uh, in this case, uh, the victim is a company that offers services, including uh, stamping of postage for their clients.
1: Yeah, so this one's uh, pretty new, right? pretty hot off the presses, so there hasn't been a whole lot of detail released yet. But uh, Pitney Bowes, so it's a uh, you know, familiar company, uh, really focused on global commerce uh, and also known for their postage meters, as you mentioned. Uh, and they just announced that they suffered a malware attack, uh, which uh, encrypted a lot of their uh, internal systems. And really the major impact, which is kind of interesting, is they have uh, this uh, product line called SendPro, which, again, is these, these these metering products for postage. Um, and effectively, you could use your um, your metering um, device if you had existing funds loaded. But all their back-end servers that allow you to kind of reload your funding were all down. Uh, so effectively stopped. Uh, you know, certainly if you were low, right, low on, uh, on funds, you're unable to, to perform any work and, uh, you know, Meter any postage or any boxes. A lot of their online and hosted services also were unavailable. So, you know, kind of, again, uh, a lot of their core infrastructure. Uh, They do claim, though, that none of the client accounts and none of the client devices themselves um, were affected. Like, they really aren't directly connected to any of the back-end systems. Uh, So, yeah, interesting uh, ransomware, and I guess I shouldn't make that claim because it it doesn't really say that there was a a ransomware outside of some encryption. that's really affecting, um, you know, a, a it is international um, a company. I know there's been uh, it affects U.S. customers and certainly customers uh, in Europe, um, and you know certainly the the U.S. Postal Service is going to uh, probably be interested in this one because um, you know it ultimately may affect uh, some of their services.
0: So, were the, they weren't able to get anything out of the account holders' wallets as a result of this, or were they?
1: No, so, so the, uh, the report is that it didn't affect any of the funds. It basically just stopped any of the customers from reloading funds. So if you had X amount of uh, uh, money in your account that was, you know, loaded onto your device, so it must keep some kind of caching on the device, uh, you're able to use that. Uh, you just weren't able to, you know, once you were out, you weren't able to uh, refill, right, and get any additional funds in there. You effectively were, you know, out of service. Um, at that point. Uh, they did actually update this morning uh, on the, they have a, a page on their website which is kind of talking through this whole incident that they're making some progress on restoration, mm-hmm. which again maybe uh, again, they, they don't say this and maybe thinks maybe they have some backups right that they're restoring from. and they expect to make an announcement sometime later today uh, when customers can expect uh, that they're able to you know, kind of uh, full access back and be able to add funds back to their uh, devices.
0: Okay. Were the attackers able to do anything as the account holders or they just was just kind of destructive and just kind of caused a denial of service?
1: Yeah. So for the information, again, that's out there, um, it would seem very focused on their internal infrastructure, uh, you know, kind of the back end services. And the claim is, again, from the company that it has no effect on the clients themselves, on their accounts and on any of their uh, devices, any of the meters, right, that they have locally kind of completely segregated. But, you know, as this story evolves and more information comes out, you know, we may see that change. But as of now, they're claiming that it's, it, there's no effect on customers themselves.
0: I guess the nightmare scenario would be that there's some device somewhere that's able to print postage and charge it to everybody else or something like that. But that's not what's going on, right? So.
1: That's not, yeah, as of now, that that's not what's been reported. But I have read a lot, you know, a lot of comments, you know, kind of alluding to that, that, you know, there's uh, you know, uh, a, a lot of financial um, considerations here, right? Where you can you can print postage, um, you know that uh, that turns into effectively you know, real currency. Um, but it, it, at this point, it doesn't seem that it's uh, it's been actually affecting any of the uh, devices themselves. So just just mostly infrastructure for this company. So you
0: know, important to have those backups, be able to restore quickly if something like this happens. Uh, so that you're not slowing down your business and you're not impacting all your customers and not letting them print postage or whatever they need to do uh, as a result of this, um, this destructive malware.
1: The views expressed on at and track are those of the participants and do not necessarily represent the views of at and or any other person or entity.